Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. A lot to get into here on a Monday after Championship Sunday. Let's not waste any time. Let's head out to the Circus Sports Guest Hotline. And joining us now from the Sporting Tribune, Brandon Deutsch, Grant Mona. Brandon, I got to start with you, my friend. Um, you know, normally we, we keep in touch during games, and I knew that this was a game, you know, at the half. And listen, I thought San Francisco was going to come back and make it a contest, like even when they were down. Um, but for them to come back the way they did uh, – what did you think? I mean, for, first of all, what did you think at the half? And at what point did you think that you guys had the game? Oh, boy. Well, I, I, th- I thought the Niners were going to lose for sure. I thought it was a done deal. Um, I have never seen them get dominated like that on both sides of the ball against anybody. Not even the Ravens did it on Christmas. That game was 15 to or 17 to 14 at halftime or something like that or 14 to 10. Like it was close. The Lions absolutely dominated. They looked like a juggernaut that was going to beat the living, you know what, out of Kansas City in two weeks. They looked like a team that, like, oh, my gosh, both sides of the football. And, you know, I knew the Niners, obviously, they have firepower. Maybe they'd make it close, but I was already, you know, buying into the narratives. Like, what do we do with Kyle Shanahan? Like, you know, this is the best roster in football. They kind of have to get it done at some point. It would would have been the third straight year losing in the NFC Championship, but – very, very great story. I know um, sports is run by stories, and having you know the last pick in the draft now start a Super Bowl against the best quarterback in the NFL, arguably the best player. It's a heck of a story. I know people wanted the Lions, and you know Dan Campbell made some bad calls in the second half. The Niners were just simply a better team, and I think the second half they just turned it on. It, it take the last couple of weeks. It's taken them a little bit. They won't be able to do that in the Super Bowl. Like they're going to have to be great start to finish. Otherwise, you're you're toast against the quarterback like Mahomes. So great, uh, and that was the big point that we were making is just how the Lions were taking it to the Rams, and and we've never seen that before. I mean, the the, the holes that were there, um, it, 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 like if Green Bay had their way and found a way to lose, the, the first half was different. What what Detroit did to San Francisco. Uh, take me through your thought process as you're watching that play out. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm going to reiterate what Brandon said. It was a complete domination on both sides of the football. We saw Brock Purdy get picked, and it wasn't really his fault just because, you know, he could have kept the ball, but he was, you know, hit as he threw it, and it was just a, a flutter up there. So that pick, I can't really judge him off of. But the Lions came out, and something that I didn't expect them to do, they hammered the run game, and they opened up holes, and they used Montgomery and Gibbs, and they got out running. And 
I did not expect that. I said that last week. I said that we got to look at for the secondary. And I think as you saw the Niners start to get pressure against Jared Goff in that second half, he st- on both of those fourth downs, Bosa came off the corner on that fourth and two, I believe it was, to, to Reynolds, which caused them to not get another score. And they got pressure on Goff, moved his feet, and he, he threw a ball a little bit wide. Another one on fourth and three, I believe, they were in their own zone, or in the 49ers zone. They forced Goff out of the pocket, and he threw a flutter ball to Amon Ross St. Brown, which wasn't caught. When you force Jared Goff to move his feet and get around in the pocket, that's when they have success. And the Niners did so in the second half. They they put the Lions on their heels as opposed to the Lions in the first half putting the Niners on their heels. And look, I, I've said so much about Brock Purdy. I've said that, you know, I don't really believe that he's one of the greats already. People are elevating him to that status. What he did with his legs in the second half is absolutely remarkable. I mean, this guy's not known for being a Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts type of player. And he went out there and he escaped, I think, four pressures and got first downs. And not just first downs, chunk yardage when it mattered in the second half. And I know he probably didn't do it with his arm. You look at his stat line, you'll say, okay, he didn't really have that big of a stat line. He made plays down the stretch much like he did against the Packers to put them in a position to win the football game. And, you know, a, a lot's being said about, oh, well, you know, the, the Lions didn't deserve, the Lions choked, this and that. F- championship football teams and Super Bowl football teams, and much like I, I watched the Rams, the whole entirety of, of their Super Bowl run, you get luck sometimes, and you get things to go your way sometimes, and you get balls to be tipped right to you sometimes, and you get the right penalties and the right fumbles at the exact right time. And I just feel like the Niners are getting that right now. And they may not look great, they may not look excellent, but they are getting just enough to get by these teams to get them in position to win football games. And that's what I saw throughout the, the second half of this one. It looked like the Lions could just run up the score, and the Niners just did not let them get to that. It was back-to-back games like that, right, where, you know, you're watching for the first half and even, like, into the third quarter thinking, like, how is San Francisco going to find a way to win this game? Like, they've been dominated. Again, the Detroit game was totally totally different in terms of the the score. 17 points, by the way, um, ties the biggest uh, comeback in the NFC Championship since San Francisco did it to Atlanta. Uh, when they played them in the Super Bowl, um, played Baltimore, um, I believe. All right. The big story that I want to get both of your guys' opinions on is Dan Campbell not deciding to kick a field goal on two occasions, uh, within 40 to 49 yards. And, uh, I'm going to read you a couple of statistics here. Michael Badgley, um, is, and I think this is for his career, by the way, uh, 77%. So, I mean, not high, but not, Terrible, but again, not great. Uh, 77% from 40 to 49 yards. The other thing to point out is that Badgley had not attempted a field goal uh, this season when he was not inside of a dome. So being on grass, being outside, being perhaps cold or windy or whatnot, um, watching that, and a lot of people went to the Dan Campbell is aggressive, they're aggressive. I think part of it was aggressive, but I think part of it is like not having confidence in Michael Badgley making those field goals or having more confidence in your team being able to pick up two to three yards as opposed to Michael Badgley making those field goals. Grant, I'm going to go to you first. Again, we got to see 
Badgley when he was here in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Not bad, not great. Again, there's a reason that he's no longer with the team. Um, again, my thinking there is I would have kicked the first one. I would have just been like, it, that would have been so big to go up by three more points. But again, we do have to respect the fact that he's seen this guy in practice. He's seen him pregame. Um, if the guy's like a 50-50 kicker in that spot, you're not, you shouldn't kick. Yeah, and, and Arash, I think the main thing here is that the the Lions, I think, just stuck to their guns, yeah. right? They've been doing this all year. They've had success with it all year. Sure, they haven't gotten every single one, but they've had success going for it on fourth and even seven, you know, yeah. throughout the year. So I think Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson were just relying, I think, too heavily on what got them there as opposed to Looking at the situation, that first one that you mentioned, the one where they went for it and, and threw it away to Reynolds, Reynolds dropped it, that would have put them up three scores. And instead, now you give the Niners the ball down two scores only, and they go back and score, actually, on that drive. They go, to, and now it's 24-17. The second one, I just, I don't get that. I mean, I, I understand, you know, maybe the confusion with, with Badgley and if he can do it in this scenario, but... Badgley hasn't been that bad to where you can go away from. Now, if it was the Rams situation and you have Havrasic out there or you have somebody out, Maher out there where it's known yeah, that he's right. very, very iffy, I understand that. But Badgley has been pretty reliable this year for the Lions. And I know that it was on the road and it's a different environment, what have you. But I just think those two are just, uh, it, it's because they stuck to their guns. And in this type of scenario where you're in the NFC Championship, you have the ability to go to a Super Bowl, you have to change your way of thinking a little bit. You can't just stick to your guns in that scenario. you got to be a little bit conservative and say, we're not playing the Vikings in November. We're playing the San Francisco 49ers in late January. we got to get points. And I just think that's what, what, what led to that. Brandon, your thoughts on the decision on two occasions to go for it on fourth and about two or three, not kick a field goal? Yeah, I'm going to just go off of what Grant said a little more. I mean, the first field goal, I mean, that was a must. I know you want to kick the Niners in the throat. They're a team that's very talented on the offensive side of the football, especially, and they can get in any game, as we saw. And I think it was more Dan Campbell saying, look, I want to be, go up 31 to 10 or whatever and start 31, you know, after Moody had made that field goal and the Niners, uh, really didn't score a touchdown. They didn't. They kicked the field goal the previous possession. Um, and maybe momentum would have came their way versus a field goal. Then it's like, okay, three scores. Yeah. I would have kicked the field goal, but I, I don't hate them for going it for it there. And I certainly don't hate Dan Campbell's decision the next time because you're going to tie the game. Um, you know, like you might as well get a lead, right? Like if you, like the Niners are going to go, uh, go downfield and score points, whether it's a field goal or, uh, or a touchdown, right? Uh, the way that game was going, right? So at that point in the game, I would have gone for it as well. Okay. That I, I stand with him there. The first one, I would have kicked the field goal because like Grant mentioned, then you're up three, you know, three scores. It's a little different. Um, and basically you just completely, just do exactly what the Niners just did, which was kick a field goal. Okay, now even. And then it's back to football, right? But then you give momentum to the Niners, the catch happens, and, you know, stuff happens. But that's what made them successful, like you mentioned, Arash, all year. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's switch gears now. Let's go to the other game, the earlier game, the AFC Championship game, Baltimore and the Kansas City Chiefs. This is really a, 
like a situation where the Chiefs weren't bad this season, but they did not look like the Kansas City Chiefs of the previous few seasons. But come playoff time, whether it's going to Buffalo, whether it's going to Baltimore, they find a way to win, and they did it once again. And um, yes, in certain situations, you could point at officiating, but at the end of the day, the Chiefs made all the right plays. Baltimore made just a couple of horrendous uh, turnovers uh, there. Grant, I'll start with you. I mean, we are, again, so, so much has been made, and rightfully so, of course, about Tom Brady and New England. What we're seeing in Kansas City, if they are to win, and I know uh, we'll see what happens, but, I mean, what we're seeing happen with the Chiefs is right on par with that because one of the big differences, they have not had a big dip. Like, if they have not won or gone to the Super Bowl, they've gone to the conference championship game and lost in overtime. And the same thing would have happened today. I mean, the same thing would have happened on Sunday that – it was either that they were going to win that game or Baltimore was going to take it into um, overtime and win. So uh, just an amazing run that they've had. Yeah, and for the Chiefs, I said this so many times, and on Brandon and I's pod, we both mentioned this, is that don't let this Chiefs team get to the Super Bowl again because they are pretty dangerous. Don't let them get a win or two on the road, which is what they did. And there was a lot of talk about Mahomes being on the road. Oh, this is the first time they've been on the road in this run. It didn't matter. Um, it really doesn't matter. When you have that championship DNA, and this is much like the Niners. I know they haven't won a Super Bowl, but they have more experience, more DNA to go into these scenarios, into Baltimore, into, you know, against a, t- a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, against a team like the Ravens and get it done. And, for most of the game, it just felt like, oh, the Ravens are going to do it here. This is where the Ravens are going to make the run. The Ravens are finally going to break open. And then Zay Flowers fumbles in the end zone. It's wow. a touchback. There's just so many plays that you can look back. Why does Lamar throw it into triple coverage? I don't know. I don't know why he does that. But that's when experience plays. Mahomes made all the right plays. He opened the game with 11 straight completions, Arash. Like, that is something that greats do. And he just knows where guys are how to find them, and even that play, the last play to seal a game to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, that is an insane move to do that, to make that pass, to throw it there, to do, to run that kind of route and put it on the money that Mahomes did. It just shows, like, this Chiefs team, and I've said this so many times, it's like a cockroach that you step on it and it just doesn't die. It just cannot die at all. It just keeps on going. And I compared it to like Steph Curry and the Warriors who lost to the Lakers over the weekend. But they, you just can't get rid of them. They, they're always in the rearview mirror. And I, that's just how I feel about the Chiefs. And for ratings, I think a Chiefs Niners Super Bowl and for media and for marketing and for names, it's just the best option. And I know that a lot of people hate it. I am not a fan of either of the teams, but. <laughs> For what you can talk about the Chiefs and what you can talk about in the Niners, this is kind of an ideal scenario. But, I mean, they dominated on defense, which is something that I did not expect. This is the best defense that Mahomes has had in his tenure here. But I did not expect them to shut down the Ravens that much. 100%. Yeah, um, I'll just go off of that. Spagnola is a genius. Um, He's going to implement a great scheme against the Niners, similar to what the other two teams did to the Niners. The first few weeks. So I do expect the Niners to be in a deficit in this, in the Super Bowl because Spagnola is just such a genius. I mean, Shavarius Ford leaves in free agency, uh, to the Niners and he's their best corner now. And they're like, okay, Ladarius, Ladarius Sneed, who, you know, kind of, uh, a lot of people were calling him a bum, a lot of Chiefs fans. And all of a sudden, 
turns into a superstar. Like that is scheme. That's defensive coordinators that are elite. And Mahomes didn't even have to do that much to win. What did they have at halftime? 17 points. How many points do they have at the end of the game? 17 points. So at the end of the day, you give a quarterback of this, of this talent, a defense like that. All he needs is just enough. Now, I don't think that's going to work against the 49ers, but 49ers should win. But if I'm a betting man, I would bet on the Chiefs. I cannot believe they're not favored in this game against the 49ers who are being given one and a half points just because they've been there. And once you have, once you've been there and won and you've won unrelenting belief that you're going to win again. And that's kind of what we're seeing. The swagger with this team versus the Niners, they're kind of like, it's kind of new to them. I know they've been to the Super Bowl, but w- you know, winning a Super Bowl is is new to them. Uh, they, it's going to be tough. I, I think the Chiefs probably win that game. The uh, line is, you know, has fluctuated so much in the first day, and um, uh, again, the the quick line at a couple of sports books was two, two and a half, went down to one, one and a half. It's it's now down to one. Could be pick them by tomorrow. Uh, again, just because so much money is coming in on the Chiefs, uh, they've, they've seen enough, quite frankly. A, it's the history of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and that team, but also they've gone into Buffalo and won when people didn't think that they could do that. They've gone into Baltimore and won when people didn't think that they can do that. And now going into San Francisco, this is a rematch of the Super Bowl that we had back in Miami in 2020. Uh, Real quick, I'll never forget it. I mean, I landed in Miami and found out about the passing of Kobe. That was sort of, you know, me traveling there to cover that game. And that it was just uh, kind of a surreal experience that week in Miami just because I, I, I didn't want to particularly be there. I kind of wanted to come back home to Los Angeles and still kind of surreal. Uh, so, again, that was four years ago. Um, and now you fast forward to this point. Different teams, obviously, but um, I just think the odds makers are looking at this and they're not quite sure what to do because San Francisco has not looked that great the past two weeks, but they found a way to win and that's saying something, but they're no longer playing at home. Now they're being, now the game will be in Las Vegas. Before we close out this segment, uh, Grant, and I know we'll talk a ton about this game, obviously, over the next two weeks. Uh, quick thoughts on the game. Again, the, the line switching or going down. Uh, it is a one-point spread right now. Yeah, I expect that to fluctuate as we see uh, injury reports as well. I expect it to maybe, like you said, maybe flip to Chiefs too, just because they have the pedigree. They won it last year. They're on a roll right now. They did it on the road, and they're going to be on the road again. Um, and, you know, look, I, I, I think... This is my opinion. I still think the Niners are the better football team, and I've been saying that throughout the whole playoffs since the beginning of the season, preseason. I had Niners-Ravens, but the Ravens failed me on that part. But um, I think that line is just going to fluctuate in between. I think that the Niners should be favored just because they have the better, more talented football team. They can attack you in so many ways. But yes, the Chiefs, oh my goodness. I keep saying that they're going to lose one of these games, and they just don't. So... Who am I to say? But yeah, I, I think that line is, is accurate right now. We'll probably see it fluctuate plus three, minus two, whatever it was. And Brandon, your, your thoughts on the game? Yeah, uh, I think if you're looking on paper, the Niners should, should win by about, you know, three to 10 points, like in between there. But, you know, Purdy, maybe these last two weeks being in close games, something they weren't accustomed to doing and coming back has prepared them for this moment. Maybe they're a team of destiny and actually beat Mahomes. And then you have, okay, now there's Burrow, Purdy, 
and Brady that have beaten Mahomes. And then you have Purdy, who's become the Brady once he retires, even though he obviously I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying in the terms of Brady leaves and Purdy uh-huh. comes to the NFL and beats Mahomes, you know, kind of takes that spot. That'd be a great story. I think it'd be great for football if the 49ers win. I'm not saying that uh, with any bias involved. I'm just saying I think people <laughs> are probably tired of the Chiefs. And by the way, the NFL doesn't oh. need the Chiefs, Chiefs to win because guess what? They're going to get the viewers anyways. Now yeah. Taylor Swift's going to be there. So they don't need them to win. They just need people oh, to watch. So we'll see. Vegas needs a Chiefs win. So I always get kind of concerned with that. I do. It, it was, uh, it was great seeing Taylor, uh, Swift on the field, giving uh, Travis Kelsey a big kiss. And, uh, I think we'll hear a couple of uh, questions about that at Super Bowl Media Day. Uh, listen, I mean, Grant, I think said it perfectly. If, if, if the league was to say, what is your dream matchup? Commissioner, he would have said the Kansas City Chiefs with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, and in San Francisco. No disrespect to Detroit. That's a fun story, but you, you clearly want San Francisco. All right, let's leave it there for now. When we come back, the Lakers, we said this a few times, did they have a season-changing victory? And by the way, the same night that the Clippers have a season-changing victory as well. We'll talk about that when we come back right here on the Mightier 1090s of the California, the bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment or want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas, or Hawaii, Call our hotline, 310-400-0340. All right, uh, let's head back out to the Circus Sports Guest Hotline and joining us again from the Sporting Tribune, Brandon Deutsch, Grant Mona. All right, it was a busy weekend or at least a busy Saturday in the NBA in two perhaps season-changing, season-altering victories. Let, let me start with the Clippers first. Um, and I say that because that we're talking about a team that was already one of the top, um, you know, four or five teams. Uh, but they go into Boston and they beat the absolute crap out of the Celtics. The game was never close. Um, and then now they, they sit just one game back of the one seed. This is the best Clippers team. And I'll let Grant chime in. But again, I, you know, I, I covered the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan teams. And the one thing that, 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 that I tell people who say that team should have been greater is that 
having covered them and having covered the league, I said I never thought at at any point that they were better than uh, the Spurs, who won you know championships. <laughs> Excuse me, championship during that time, or the Oklahoma City Thunder, or the Warriors. Like they were a good team. I thought they were, uh, you know, the fifth best team in the league. Maybe they could have snuck in a one conference finals. But like this is right now, the Clippers, the way that they're playing, you could clearly say that I, you know, that they're the best team in the West. Uh, Grant, first, the significance of going into Boston and blowing out the Celtics. And do you believe right now, as we sit here today on a Monday, that the Clippers are the best team in the Western Conference? Uh, I believe that they're the best team in the Western Conference, and that is just based off of their recent stretch. I mean, the Wolves have kind of slipped up a little bit. The Thunder have as well. They lost to the Pistons last night. Um, and I think the Clippers are beating good teams, um, and that's something that I never expected. Um, for them to go into Boston and look, Boston – they only have one home loss on their record so far. Um, and that was to the Denver Nuggets and the Clippers went in there and absolutely pummeled them. And I know that the Celtics were without Chris Stapp's Porzingis, but when the Celtics beat the Clippers back in November, I think it was December, early December, they didn't have Kawhi Leonard. And a lot of people were talking about that too. Um, the Clippers, I mean, after the first quarter, it was complete domination, not just offensively, Arash, but I think the biggest thing that I've seen from them, I think about four times this year is that when they want to lock in defensively and when they want to really show what kind of defensive team they can be and that they are, they do it against some of the best teams. They did it against Phoenix in Phoenix, that first Phoenix matchup. They did it against New Orleans in that New Orleans matchup where they won and they actually beat them by 20-plus. And they did it here uh, in Boston where I think Jason Tatum barely had any points. Jalen Brown had under 10 points. Derek White had two points. Um, they completely locked down this Celtics team that is one of the best offenses in the league. And the Clippers have one of the best offenses in the NBA. I think they're top five in offense. Um, they're top five in defense in the stretch. But what they did on defense is what really surprised me the most because I expected this to be a close game. Look, this is two, these are two close, you know, closely knit contenders. They're both teams that we think can go to the finals. But for the Clippers to do this on that parquet floor in Boston, um, on the second night of a back-to-back garage, that's the other thing. This, this is a Clippers team that didn't have any rest. They just beat, um, a, they just beat a team and then they came in on the second night of a back-to-back and put up great performances. Here's the thing. James Harden went two of 11. Paul, J- Russell Westbrook went, I think, 0 of 8 from the field. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard carried this team. And the game before, it was the opposite where Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were off and Harden and Westbrook were on. That is the luxury of having four star-type players on the team now, which is something that no other Clipper team has had in the past. Sure, you had Blake Griffin. Sure, you had Chris Paul. But DeAndre Jordan was an an all-NBA player, but he wasn't that type of guy. Now they have four guys that any given night can put up 20, plus Norm Powell, who can be a a 20-a-night guy. So... That's what I think makes this Clippers team the best of all time. And I think that they have the most talent in the Western Conference, probably in the NBA, honestly, if you look at their roster. Um, but again, Arash, the main thing is health. And we're going to keep saying that. Like, guys, we're going to keep saying everything about health because it's a, it's a real thing. But in terms of what I'm seeing on the floor, I mean, I couldn't be any happier seeing the kind of product that they're putting out there, how locked in they are. Yeah, and I just want to piggyback off of what, Grant was saying, and I think it starts with the back-to-backs. When I view 
from my perspective, a very good basketball team that I can trust um, in an NBA Finals matchup. I look at the season and I look at back-to-backs. When the going gets tough, can they win a game when they're tired, when stuff hasn't gone their way? Can Do they have moxie and grit? Previous Clipper teams would, you know, they'd sit out. Kawhi would sit out. Leonard, uh, George would sit out. And they weren't, they didn't win those back-to-back, back-to-backs. Um, and the Lakers don't win those back-to-backs. And that's why I don't think the Lakers will win a championship this year. And the Clippers might because when the going gets tough, when they have a challenge, they step up. I know they lost twice to the Lakers this season at full strength. But honestly, who cares? They trade that just like the Lakers would trade that for their championship that they won when they were struggling against the Clippers earlier that year as well and the years following that. What matters is the playoffs. And and them being able to play and be available for this stretch is going to pay dividends. Grant and I talked about this with Jihei earlier on in the year. Previous Clipper teams, they were getting hurt because they weren't their bodies weren't prepared. They weren't prepared for the physical strain, the exhaustion that the playoffs are in the NBA season, by the way, which is, you know, one of the longest tenures of any season uh, of any league there is when you go deep into May and you go into June. I mean, this is a this is a team that can really do it on both ends of the floor. And you hit it right on the money, too, with Norm Powell, 45 percent from three, I believe, last time I checked. A lot of that is because guys have been playing so well. That defenses are like, well, we can't stop, you know, we, we're going to try and stop Kawhi. We're going to try and stop George. We're going to try and stop Westbrook. Harden. Well, there's Powell for three and he's having the best year of his career. And Terrence Mann looked excellent the other night with 17 points. This is a team that on both ends of the floor is very tough to beat. And they're only, they only lose if they beat themselves. And right now I can't pick another team besides the Denver Nuggets that I see beating either of those teams in the Western Conference right now. I think it's, there's, there's, we, for the longest time, there was a disparity where people were like, well, are the Timberwolves that good? Are the Thunder that good? Now, to me, people that know basketball, it's like Thunder and Clippers are the two best teams in the Western Conference. And then there's a huge gap. I don't trust the Timberwolves in a series and OKC is too young. So for me, I would put the Lakers in that second tier as bad as they've been this year because I've seen it. I've seen them be there. So they're probably the third or fourth or fifth team that can maybe give one of those teams uh, a run in the playoffs as bad as they've played just because I've seen it, okay? But this Clippers team is the best they've had, and they're really squandering on an opportunity if they don't at least get to the Western Conference Finals this year, and I do think they'll get there this time around. Great. What what makes you think this is different? Again, I still think that, um, you know, the run they had to the Conference Finals, that that team, if they had stayed healthy, could have gone to the Finals, could have maybe won the whole thing. How do you compare your your confidence? And again, it's weird to kind of compare the two because again, that team, you know, not only do they lose the first two home games to the Mavs, they were getting blown out in game three and they came back. Um, that team had it though. That team had that moxie that you guys talk about. Uh, you know, your point, and you brought up health, and that's not a passive thing. Uh, since then. And Steve Ballmer touches on this like all the time. Like you just can't believe that this has happened. But since then, you guys have not had one or both of your stars. So in that year that uh, the Clippers get to the conference finals, Kawhi goes down. And Kawhi statistically was putting up numbers we had not seen since Shaquille. Like it was just those <laughs> crazy numbers. Following year, uh, again, no, no Kawhi and no Paul George, no Kawhi and no Paul George. It's just like, I mean, the, the fact that, that you would not have both of those guys is still nuts. Um, what gives you the confidence this year could be different? 
the mentality. It's easily the mentality that they take. They took it in to the training camp. They had it in preseason. And even through those first six games, all I heard from the Clippers and from all their players was, we're going to get it right. We're going to figure this out. We'll be fine. And amidst all of the people trash talking them, look, myself included, I didn't think they could get to this point. Brandon did. And Arash, I believe you did, but I just didn't because I've seen it in years past. Um, it's just the mentality. They locked in and they lock in every night. I think Tyloo touched on this, um, after the last game and after Boston. Um, he said that Paul George wasn't even supposed to play. And he said, no, I want to play because I want to see how we match up with the Boston Celtics. That mentality right there is something they didn't have last year in 2021-2022. And maybe not even in 20 and 21 because they load managed it a little bit that year as well. So you look at this team and you say, okay, well, if they're healthy, they're good. But the thing is, they haven't even been really that healthy. They're just playing through it, and they're giving it their all throughout these injuries. There's a lot of times on a second night of a back-to-back where Kawhi tweaks something, and I've seen him go, no, I'll be there. I'll be available tomorrow. I'll be available for the next game. And that is something, I don't know if it was a shift in mentality and culture from the organization, from the front office, from the coaching staff, from the players, but even Ty Lue before the season, he said, we're going to shift something. We need to take the regular season serious. And I think, Arash, I think I think they saw what the Denver Nuggets did last year. Jamal Murray was coming off an ACL injury, but he played a majority of the games. Sure, he took some time off, and they played from the opening tip to the last tip, and they were the one seed, and they had home court advantage, and they took advantage of it. And the Clippers saw that, and they're trying to do the same thing. That is something that no other Clipper team has had. Obviously, when you were covering the Clippers, they had the egos of Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, and they kind of butted heads a little bit, as we know now. And J.J. Redick has touched on this. Now, it just seems like we don't care about what anyone else says outside. We don't care how we've done in the past. We want to win this next game, and then after that, we're going to about the next game after that we're not worried about what happens in june we want to just win every game and that's something that clipper teams just haven't had and i think that is what's going to carry them not just that but the fact that they have four guys who can take the load off of each other james Harden doesn't have to be the main guy Kawhi, he is the main guy but he doesn't have to be paul george doesn't have to be russell westbrook is now a, a bench piece where he comes in and just gives spark and energy so it kind of balances everything out and kind of has people set their roles, right? These guys know their roles now and they have that mentality where I don't care how many points I get. I want to win the game. And that's something that they haven't had. Yeah. I wanted to add one more thing before we move on from this topic. Also, why could this team be different? Sample size. They've been consistently more dominant than any Clippers team in history over this span that we've seen over the past few months. Um, they started off very bad and now they're dominant. And that's and once you have that sample size, and like Grant mentioned, first Clippers team I remember doesn't care about stats. Harden, first year of his career, he does not care about stats. He's like 17, 7, and 8. Who cares as long as we win? And that unselfishness is dangerous for the NBA. The Clippers are a threat. All right, switching gears, Brandon, want to get your thoughts. The Lakers, and I know that these are not the Warriors of previous years. In fact, they're below 500. In fact, they're not even in the top uh, 10. They're number 12. However, anytime you have LeBron versus Steph versus Draymond, and it's, you know, it, it just feels like a big game. And for that game to go into double um, overtime the way it did, Steph and LeBron going back and forth, our favorite lineup. By the way, most Laker fans' favorite lineup. I mean, the, the reason most Laker fans were excited about this season was the lineup of D'Angelo Russell, um, Austin Reeves, Jared Vanderbilt, 
Anthony Davis, LeBron James. So we got to see that. Um, it felt like a big win. It felt like a playoff win. It felt like a season-changing win. Uh, your thoughts on LeBron having one of the best performances in Lakers history at his age, still crazy, but the Lakers finding a way to come back and win that game. Yeah, it was a season, season defining and season changing win. Um, just the power of that lineup, like AD said after the game, I mean, you got to ask coach if they're going to use it, which is never a good sign because the one person who doesn't know that it's one of the statistically more dominant lineups of any team in the NBA over the past few years, those five, um, you know, he doesn't know that that has to be the case. Literally the only difference, Arash, to them being back in the Western Conference finals or at least in the second round, is probably Torian Prince, and I love Torian Prince, playing 20 to 24 minutes instead of 30 to 35. That could literally be the difference in Vanderbilt playing more. If you put him in a series tomorrow, despite everything we've seen, Russell's going to be hit or miss. Okay, Russell's, I mean, he might get traded. We don't know. I wouldn't do that. I know that's going to be a big topic of conversation over this next few weeks because he's averaging 30 points per game in the moxie he showed. He's yeah. never shown that in his career until now. It seems like he's like, he's a Laker. Like that, like now for the longest time, we're like, is D'Angelo Russell ever going to become a Laker? And it's kind of like you look at the moments over the past few, he stepped up against Golden State. I know he didn't step up against Denver. No one did. That's why they got swept. Okay. Defensively, they were atrocious, but this is a team, Arash, that win, they were dead in the water. And that was the first time since the IST, they showed moxie and grit and were able to get out of it and pick up a victory. I don't care if it was the Pistons or the Warriors. That is tough to do in the NBA, especially for a Laker team that hadn't shown it being down in games. Great. Your your thoughts on that win, again, um, it, it just felt different. It felt like this could be the start of something great. And, again, they don't have to do anything crazy at the trade deadline if Ham just, just um, realizes that that lineup helped them get all the way to the conference finals. And this is so weird for me to say because I felt this a year ago and I would feel the same way now. And I think a lot of it has to do with the way that the team has played during the season. But if this team gets to the Western conference finals to me, like that's a successful season. It's weird to say that. And I uh, never thought I would say that a, as someone who has been a Lakers fan, but also you have two generational talent. So, you know, yes, it, you know, the, the, the goal should be winning a championship, but, when you look at where they've been this season, you know, hovering around 500, uh, but your thoughts on that, that win? Yeah, that win was, was significant just because you found something, right? You went deep down and you found something, right? So they probably, they went with that lineup that we've been, <laughs> we've been trying to tell them to play the whole time. Um, and it worked and it worked for a long period of time. So now I, I hope to, I hope to God that Darvin Ham sees that and says, okay, well, we've, we didn't just see it for one minute. We didn't see it for three minutes. We saw it for like, I guess two quarters because yeah. they went into overtime and double overtime with that lineup. And LeBron said it after the game. He said, we just know where we are in that lineup. Like we know where everybody's going to be when we pass the ball around. We, the chemistry is real. So if you have that coming from your best player yeah. and you know that it works and it didn't just work now. It was, it worked in the playoffs last year. I just think that you got to stick with that. And I know Torian Prince has been pretty good for the Lakers. He shot over 40% from three. He's been decent defensively. But 
right now the Lakers are one game over 500. They need to get to at least five to 10 games over 500 for me to actually take them seriously again as a contender. I think they can do it. And I don't think you should trade D'Angelo Russell right now. You, I don't think you can. He had three straight turnovers, Arash. And right after that, he pulled up for a, a transition three to take the lead, yeah. which is something, like Brandon said, I don't think I've ever seen. I know he has a lot of confidence in his career he has. I don't think I've ever seen him do that, especially on a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So for him to have that confidence, he is stroking it from the outside. He is really good in the pick and roll, too. People underrate that with him. He knows how to get Anthony Davis and LeBron open in the pick and roll. Um, pair that with Austin Reeves, who has gotten it together recently, not just defensively, but offensively as well. He has a career high in, in almost every category offensively. This Laker team does have enough, and I think that... If you trade a, maybe like a JHS, Jalen Hood Shafino, Max Christie, maybe Jackson Hayes, a package like that for a guy that's, you know, maybe a Dorian Finney Smith, not a, a, a Zach Levine or a DeJounte Murray. I don't think that moves the needle. And we've said that many times. Sure, DeJounte Murray would be great with the Lakers. I think that would be an upgrade, but it doesn't move the needle. I think this team, they're hungry. They have the chemistry. They like each other uh, by all accounts of what I've heard in the media. And I just think that this team still has what it takes to go on a run. And maybe this does spark it because, like you said, the Warriors aren't the same Warriors that they've been in years past, but they still got Steph freaking Curry and they still have Clay Thompson. And those guys were lethal in that game. And you outlasted that. So you showed stamina, moxie, toughness, and actual great basketball play over not just 48 minutes, but a little bit more than that. So I hope they take this and I hope they run with it. Now you have that in the back of your pocket where you can say, hey, we just did this last week or we just did this last game. Now we can beat a lot of teams. So I think they can go on a run from here. Yeah, I mean, the most amazing thing, uh, you know, because you look at it on paper and you're thinking, oh, it's LeBron James and Steph Curry. And then you're enjoying the game and you see the final stat line. And it's just one of those things where, um, like if you're not appreciating it, <clears throat> you probably should. I mean, just, 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 just take a moment just to, to, cause we've, we've never seen a player play like this at the end of their career. Again, 36 points, 20 rebounds. Let me repeat that. 20 rebounds, 12 assists. Again, no Lakers since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And this is like old school, like, like 1970s. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has done that. And LeBron James, in his storied career, has never had 20 boards. So for him to do that at this point in his career is amazing. And that's why, like, any thought that I have that the Lakers can go on a run is, A, because I think that they have the players who can do that. that they have the lineup that I like. We just have to get the coach to play them. But if, LeBron, like, LeBron can still be LeBron. And Anthony Davis has shown the season. He can still be Davis. And, and when those guys are doing it, you, you have two of the top 10, two of the top five players in the league. All right. That's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again tomorrow. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.